Welcome to the Writing to Get Business podcast, where you'll get tips to expand your writing skills. Every week, you'll hear tips and strategies to support your writing. Pat Iyer is your show hostess, a ghostwriter, editor, and author who has written 48 books. Sit back, relax, and listen. Here's your hostess, Pat Iyer. Hi, this is Pat Iyer. This is the podcast Writing to Get Business, and I have with me April Callis Berkmeyer, who is a person who is well-versed in the art of change. She has fascinated me with our discussions as we were getting ready for this podcast about why she picked this topic. No matter where you are in your life, you have experienced phenomenal change in 2020. I would bet. And this is a topic that we're all thinking about right now and how we manage and adjust our lives. April wrote a book about the topic and well before we were even thinking about the kinds of adjustments that we've been making in our lives in 2020. April, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Pat. Let's talk about the topic of change. Tell me, how did you get interested in that? Well, I, I think uh, change is a very interesting topic for a number of reasons, but I came to it very, in kind of in a haphazard way, I have to say. Um, I was a corporate trainer. Uh, I was teaching at colleges. I had a um, bit birthday party business also for children uh, because I was home with my daughters. And I was um, pursued by the director of uh, change management for the uh, Big Ten University, who was going through a large um, ERP change. And this was about 20 years ago. So they were moving from all these homegrown uh, computer systems they were using to run the university and moving to an ERP, which is an enterprise resource planning system. And that sounds sort of technical and boring, but in fact, it was fascinating because what I discovered was that there was this world called organizational change management that was a combination of business process redesign, communication, training, and pretty much anything else you could throw in and think of. So um, I was hired to be an organizational change management Um, consultant for that project. I uh, learned a tremendous amount there, and I've been involved with um, organizational and individual change ever since. I'm thinking about what it must have been like for those individuals to go from a computer system or a system that they were very familiar with to something that they had to learn and master to be able to take advantage of those qualities and the strengths of that system. One of the things that I've been fascinated by is how people behave. I had to make a choice between nursing or psychology, and both of them were very appealing to me. And what I enjoy when I think about the change process is teasing out, what do you do about the resistance to change? Is that a big issue or are people more fluid? and flexible? Well, I think you really hit on on the number one um, pain point for most organizations or people going through change, and that's resistance. And resistance is very natural. It's, It's to be expected. 
But it's funny, sometimes when we do an organizational change, it seems like it surprises everyone. Like, oh, people don't like having to do this. Well, that's, that's the way it is. Because as humans, as you know, as you just referenced with psychology, you know, we don't like things to, to be different than what's comfortable for us. We're used to a certain pattern, we get into a habit, and we enjoy our habits and our patterns. And when we have to disrupt them or change them in some way, it's really tough. Um, I have to tell you, I, uh, about 25 years ago, was helping people to stop smoking with a program called Smoke Enders. And it was a program where we were disrupting people's habit to help them change, to help them adopt a new habit of not smoking. And it was a fascinating um, experience for me in terms of thinking about, you know, how do we disrupt behaviors that are comfortable and that people love and that they are sometimes quite emotionally attached to and replace those with behaviors that they say they want and that we know are going to be helpful. And uh, so I think that when we see resistance, it is that uh, frustration, the anger and the annoyance sometimes that the way that I used to do things or the way that I like to do things has been disrupted. There's so many different types of resistance that we see. And actually, when I was putting together the book, I put together a section that gave um, different types of uh, promoters of change and what happens to them when they suddenly become resistant and how, do, how does that play out and how do they behave when that happens? And um, then I gave some suggestions for how to help that um, situation when it does occur. And also more importantly, how to prevent it so that people don't get resistant to start with, but it is natural. We do see that. I did, as we talked about some change management learning when I was in graduate school and put together a program to create preceptors for new nurses working in the hospital that employed me. I decided that I had two pathways. I could create the program based on what I thought would be best, or I could create a committee that would create the program. And I had this resistance to change in mind when I took the second path of having people build the program through a series of meetings, hearing everybody's perspectives so that when it was rolled out, the individuals on the committee who had helped to create this had a sense of ownership. And then they promoted the program on their nursing units to deal with that resistance to change. Are there strategies like that that you cover in your book that companies can use in order to anticipate resistance to change? Absolutely. And I think your example is so spot on because many times people are resistant because they don't know what's coming and they don't have enough communication or they don't have enough information and they feel like, you know, they don't like to not know. They don't like to be in the dark or feel left out. And so some of the strategies that are suggested in the book are things like um, helping our leaders to tell the story of change as a story, not as uh, bullet points of software or bullet points of you know why something's going to be good for them. 
nobody loves things that are going to be good for them. So uh, helping to tell the story of why and make it relevant and relatable. Um, tell the story of the, the reason for the change in a way that just makes sense to people. And I'll tell you that group that I was working with um, at the Big Ten University, we had a large group of, of people that we needed to get um, engaged with this change so that they could do exactly what you had done in your, um, in your committee, that they could go out and carry the message of the change and tell people that this was going to be a positive thing. But first we had to deal with their resistance and, and get them on board with us. And they were not very um, interested in being on board with us. <laughs> now at the time, this was a, a, a long time ago. And at the time they had all these different databases that they had created themselves, which I had mentioned. But what, what that meant in terms of their day-to-day -day work was that like if I was in the school, uh, let's say I was in the law school and I had a student of mine in the law school who was taking a course, maybe in engineering for some reason, I would have to log out of my law school database. I'd have to contact somebody at engineering and get their login and log into their database, get my students information, take it back out and take it to my database and put it into my database. So there was all this going in and out of each other's databases. In fact, I saw people who had sheets of paper next to their desk that said the different schools and colleges and what their login information was so that they could get in and out of the databases to gather a student's information in one place. At the same time that this was going on and I was observing all this, we were meeting with this group of people and we were saying to, um, to the 150 or so people that we were gathering, we said, we need your help. We need your cooperation. This is a really important project. And I had a really technical boss and she was a, a, a whiz at everything technical, but she, she kept saying to them, this is a relational database. You need to have this. And they kept saying, why? We don't want this. So at the same time that this was all happening, I was, uh, had my two oldest daughters, um, Violet and Emma, and they were three and one. And because I was working all week on Saturdays, I would put them in the car and we would go run our errands and we would go, you know, put them both into those car seats, run to the grocery store, take them out of the car seat, go to the grocery store, take them out of the grocery store, go back into the car seats, and we'd go to the pharmacy out of the car seats, into the pharmacy, out of the pharmacy, into the car seats. We go to the bank, we go to the hardware store, and it was just constant putting these two little girls into and out of their car seats. And it was driving me crazy. And I was thinking about this and I was complaining about it to somebody. And they said, well, why don't you go to that new store? It's about 20 miles away. So the following weekend I did, I went to the new store, which was Walmart. And I took the kids out of their car seats one time and we went into Walmart and they had everything I needed. They had a pharmacy, they had a grocery store, they had hardware store, they had a bank, everything I needed, even sandwiches so I could keep them quiet. <laughs> and I put them back into their car seats, got everything we needed and I went home. And I thought, this is what I have to help these liaisons, these folks who are so resistant. I need to share this with them so they understand what we're trying to create. 
Well, my boss thought I was a little bit silly because um, she didn't want to tell our unit liaisons that uh, we were building a Walmart for this multi-million dollar uh, ERP project. And uh, but then she went to them and she said, "Okay, we're building a database. Very, very important, and you must pay attention." And they got up to leave. And so she said, um, "Have you ever heard of Walmart? April's going to tell you about Walmart." And I did, I told them about my experience and how that's what we were trying to create for them. And it was a relevant and relatable story for them because they were all women. I'd say 95% were women who were also in the same boat that I was of taking kids in and out of the car seats and having to shop. And they said, oh man, this, this system sounds awesome. We want that. And so when they started to understand in a relevant and relatable way, what it was we were trying to create, they started to become less resistant and more interested. And then they ended up helping us to build the entire system. So that's one way I think that we can really address resistance is to describe things and tell things, uh, share information in a story form that's relevant and relatable to those who are hearing it. And that's such a perfect analogy. And you got their attention because you were telling them a story that they understood and the solution was easily transferable to the challenge that they had in front of them. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, And I know that you do a lot of speaking. You are a certified speaking professional. You have mastered this art of telling stories and making those connections for your audience. Yes, so I've, I've really enjoyed change management in, in so many different um, ways. And I, I have to say that, you know, we, we expect resistance, we see resistance. And for those of us who are helping to lead change, understanding that, you know, relevant relatable stories is the place to start is really a, a big step. Well, let's shift back to your book for a minute. You had that experience with helping this company with their database, consolidating their system. So they were working off of one system. How did you get involved in writing that book? Well, I, that project really started me on my path. And I've spent the past um, two decades working in different projects uh, on change management and helping users um, adopt change. And one of the things that I noticed, I do a lot of uh, project management work. And so I'm also a, a PMP, a project management professional. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that my project management teammate, teammates and team members didn't always seem to understand change management. And they didn't really understand it in a way that they could use it. They knew they should be using change management to help people adopt the change that we're working on on a project. They just didn't understand how because there's so many different change methodologies and some of the change methodologies that exist are really complicated and and have a lot of templates and a lot of steps and pieces and moving parts. And it tends to frustrate or maybe maybe even intimidate um, folks sometimes when they see too much uh, going on in terms of change management. 
So I thought I would really like to build something that my project management professional colleagues can use easily. They see it, they get it, they can use it, that it's, it's simple. And I also um, wanted to build something that would help be uh, accelerate change. It would help um, projects to go faster because I have seen projects that get kind of bogged down sometimes in too many, um, too many plans, too many moving parts. So I started to think about if I had to describe this and build this toolkit for my project professional colleagues to um, be able to implement change, you know, how could I build this in a way that would make it, um, you know, easy for them to understand or remember, number one. Um, number two, something that they could do as a team or that if there was just one person working on change, that person could do it all alone. Um, something that could be stretched longer or shorter, didn't have a specific time frame, and something that would actually help uh, people adopt the change. And so I built this model, um, the Ready, Set, Change model, which is using the word ready as an acronym to remind people of the five steps, uh, the five-step framework to lead change. Can you tell us about those five steps and give us a quick overview? Sure, yes. Um, well, R uh, is for relevant and relatable, which we just talked about. Um, being able to tell a relevant and relatable story of the change and benefit of the change is key. If we can't describe the reason that somebody should adopt a change, then maybe they shouldn't adopt that change. I mean, we, we have to know what the benefit is. And I have to tell you, as a project management professional, there have been times I've been on projects where nobody seemed to know what the benefit of the change was. You know, we need to have a real reason for that change. Um, e is for engaging sponsors, engaging sponsors and leaders in the change. Uh, in many of our change management projects, we have one person or maybe two people, but generally one person who is accountable for leading that change. And they don't always know what to do. We have to teach them what to do to be able to be successful with uh, how to lead the change. Um, the A is for advanced communication and advocacy. So advanced communication is really critical. Uh, people need to know what we know when we know it. They don't need us to hold information until we have it perfectly tidy in a little box. They need to know it um, as soon as we know it. And we need to be able to communicate frequently. Uh, Pat, I have to tell you, the most recent Gallup poll suggests that uh, people need nine to 16 communication exposures before they understand something applies to them. Now, we used to say it was seven in marketing terms, right? It was seven communications, but now it's between nine and 16. So we have to get out there fast and we have to be able to communicate frequently. And I think advocacy is important also because when we're going through a change, we have to think about not just the stakeholders who will be impacted by the change. We have to think also about the end user who is actually interacting with the system or interacting with that change face, uh, kind of face-to-face -face, in person. Um, they are the end user of that product. And sometimes they give us a little bit of a shortcut. So I, I always recommend that we're thinking of them and advocating for them when we're making decisions around change. 
Um, so that's R, E, A, and then we have D for develop and support. And that's all around training and development as well as supporting people after go live. Once we've uh, turned on the system or started a new program or reorganized our, our companies, we want to make sure that we're supporting them, that we have structures in place to help, help them sustain that change. And then why is going back to the why for um, resistance. So when we have resistance, we are always looping back to the why and we're talking about the relevant and relatable benefit of the change, the why. And um, that's the ready, set, change framework. That is slick, April, very slick. Thank you. How long ago did you write the book? It was published just last uh, February. So we're coming up on a year. Oh, came out at just the right time in our cultural history, right? Yes. And the amazing thing was, you know, as we all became locked down, um, I just went on a virtual book tour and I spoke to a lot of uh, project management institute chapters and uh, society human resource management chapters and Anybody who wanted to hear about the book, I'd love to share information about it. Hmm. How did that work out for you? What, what did you think was the benefit for you of planning it that way? Well, I, I hadn't, I mean, it wasn't a, an initial plan. Um, I thought I was going to speak to chapters in person, yes. uh, but I ended up on Zoom for, I think I probably did 60 or 70 um, Zoom meetings with different chapters. Uh, for those organizations. And I really enjoyed it. And I feel like it was for our for the Project Management Institute, I feel like it is an understandable model. It's something they get and they can remember. And they love the fact that it is um, somewhat streamlined and they're able to use it right away. You know, they don't even have to um, necessarily read the whole book. They can just think, you know, think through the steps and, and have a sense of where to go. The thing that I found for the human resource professional groups, um, those groups seemed to really enjoy it because they could see the focus on people. They could understand that this is a people-focused process. And sometimes I find that, um, you know, we think about um, project management as delivering a project, right? Delivering technology, if you will. But change management is delivering the people to that technology. It's bringing the people along. So they, they are able to go through the transition state more quickly. They get to the future state more quickly and they're able to um, experience the benefits of the change more quickly when we use change management. So... Mm -hmm. That's been uh, an enjoyable experience. I've really loved sharing. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I focus on in this show is also the process of writing the book helps you solidify your ideas. The publishing of the book helps you expose yourself to new opportunities because of having shown your knowledge in the book. Can you identify what has changed for you as a result of publishing this book almost a year ago? Yes, yes. An immediate uh, result that I can absolutely tie to uh, the publishing of the book is that when I started sharing this book with all of these different groups, um, 
they started to give me feedback and ask for how do we, how can we learn more about this and how can we become trained in it? And so I was able to create an online course that I teach live, but is also on demand for people mm -hmm. um, if they can't attend the live sessions. But I was able to create a course called Ready, Set, Change, Change Mastery 101. And not only did I develop the course, which um, was very exciting because people wanted to have the framework, but I also uh, worked with the Association of Change Management Professionals and became a qualified education provider. So my course meets the criteria for people to receive their certified change management professional designation. So that was exciting and really thrilling. Very, very nice. And then I've also um, now taken the Ready, Set, Change course, and um, I'm I just met with uh, Seminars World and I'll be providing um, that for the PMI Seminars World training um, in the next quarter. So very exciting. I wouldn't have uh, had that opportunity if I hadn't um, written the book and published it. When you created the online course, how much of the content did you take from the book? How did the book feed the online course? Well, the, the contents is the course, right? <laughs> so the interesting thing about the book and the way that I put it together was that um, like I have this core material that's, you know, uh, nonfiction. It's very, um, you know, step by step, easy to follow along. But I framed it in a, in a fictional story. I framed it with... Um, uh, kind of in a Patrick Lenzacone kind of way, um, where I have characters who are a project manager, um, a human resource manager, and a change management consultant. And the three of them are working to implement a change. And so there's a little bit of narrative at the beginning of every chapter, talking about some of the challenges that they're facing and what they're up against. And then it goes into more of the technical information around you know, how to um, conduct a stakeholder assessment and, you know, what you're looking for and how to facilitate that. And then the next chapter begins again with this narrative of these uh, fictional characters. So um, I, I don't have any of the fictional characters in the course, but all of the um, framework is in the course. And uh, for the ACMP course, the, um, well, for the, the approved ACMP course, I also have information about the standard for change management, which is um, a document that is free for anybody who'd like to download it. It's at acmpglobal.org. You can download the standard for change management. I'm one of the authors of that standard. And um, the standard is also in the change mastery course so that people who want to take their certification exam are able to learn not only the ready set change framework and how that works and how to do it but also able to learn about the standard for change management so they can pass their exam it's a beautiful thing isn't it yes <laughs> it is yes and i was also thinking as you were talking what if you wrote a book anticipating you were going to turn it into an online course and you structured it specifically as modules that could be included. 
Oh, um, that's a great idea. <laughs> if you think ahead, uh, I released a book in April of last year on networking for legal nurse consultants. And when our professional conference was canceled and I knew that I wasn't gonna be standing behind a table selling this new book, mm -hmm. I got a colleague to help contribute material about LinkedIn as a networking tool, which I did not cover in the book. The book was more focused on in-person networking as well as a lot of other content, but I took a piece of the book and turn it into an online course. Cool. It, it sounds like you used the model of the book to create your online course, but you use some discrimination in terms of what do I include, what do I don't include when I'm building that online course. Yes, and and I and I have other courses now that are kind of um, you know coming to mind as I'm thinking about. Uh, the feedback I've had over the year and um, people have said, you know, oh, I, I really like this section and I'd like more of that. And I heard that. And so now I'm, I'm planning to expand and to add another online course um, to respond to, you know, the feedback I've received. Mm -hmm. Your knowledge goes into the book and you use the knowledge to go into the online course. You use your knowledge to consult with people. Can you tell our listener, what is your primary occupation now? Are you a consultant? Or do you work as an employee for a company? How does this all fit together? Wow, that's, you know, I, I wish I could describe it, how, how it all fits together to myself some days, but it seems to, very, to flow very well. Um, I have a Springboard Consulting. It's a uh, boutique change management consulting group. And I have clients. Um, so I'm employed by my company. Um, I'm not employed by anyone else. And um, I perform work for clients. And I also have my online courses, um, speaking engagements. Um, and uh, I'm also having a membership start up in April this year. So that's exciting. So I would have to say, if I had to like divvy it up, I would say I probably do um, maybe 40% of change management consulting for clients, um, 20% speaking engagements and 20% online course and, um, kind of, uh, online course and membership pieces. Mm -hmm. I have a challenge that I've been running as well. And I'm really focused on trying to help people get their certification, their change management professional certification. It's called the CCMP and it's, just a fantastic certification in the sense that it was launched um, from the standard for change management in 2016. So there's only 1500 members, only 1500 uh, people who've been certified. So what I've been talking about with SHRM, you know, with uh, Society of Human Resource Management um, and project managers, and maybe even thinking about it for some of the authors that you work with um, is that when you add this certification to what you already have, you really differentiate yourself because instead of being, you know, one PMP out of uh, one and a half million PMPs, I am uh, a PMP with a CCMP, which puts me at, at one out of about, you know, a thousand, right? Because not everybody who has the CCMP, there's 1500 of us 
and not everybody is a project management professional also. So it really takes me from being one of uh, 1.5 million to being one of a thousand. And uh, I think people are looking for that kind of differentiation for their careers now too. And you certainly have gotten visibility with those credentials through your book, through your presentation to the chapters. We were talking before we started recording about the fact that you've put together summits, which have given you more visibility as well. Yes. Yes, the Change and Innovation Summits. <laughs> well, how can our listener find out more information about you, your services, your book? Well, if anybody's interested in the change management course, um, which would help you to obtain your certification, it's um, online at changemastery101.com. So changemastery101.com. And um, my book is available on Amazon, of course. Um, and I'm always happy to have people reach out and connect with me on LinkedIn. So if, if you'd like to stay in touch, if you'd like to connect, please connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm the only April Callis Birchmeyer that there is. So you can find me very easily. <laughs> you are unique. One of one. <laughs> yes. yes, one of one. Yes. Well, thank you, April. You have inspired me, brought me back to memories of what I thought through as I was taking on a new job in charge of staff development in a hospital and thinking about resistance to change and how important it is when you are working with a group of people in whatever capacity to think through the change process because the costs, which we didn't touch on, but the costs of the resistance can be phenomenal in terms of morale, turnover, um, lack of engagement, being able to manage that change process, whether it's in your own family, it's in your own business, is a critical skill to be aware of all of those factors that influence how we react to change. Absolutely, yes. And thank you to you who's been listening to this podcast. Be sure to go to patire.com, P-A-T-I-Y-E-R.com. Pick up some of our free reports that will help you in your writing skills, refresh you, give you some tips on proofreading, on capitalizing on your book. We've got a variety of resources there for you. And come back next week when we have a new show and a new guest. Thanks so much. This is Pat Iyer and Laura Conklin. We have been talking about Laura's two books. Laura has been a nurse for over 50 years and worked with me to create two books. Laura, tell our listener or our viewer on our YouTube channel, what are some of the key points that we covered in this podcast? Well, one of the interesting points was I had mentioned to Pat that I wanted to write my memoirs. I've been a nurse for 50 years. I worked every field of nursing and I wanted to share those stories. Basically, Pat said, who cares? Okay, so I'd rethink that. All right, in those 50 years of nursing and all those areas I worked, what did I learn? What do I wanna pass on as an opportunity to learn for somebody else? What can they accomplish walking through my steps? And it was a look at, oh my gosh, how nursing has changed over the years, over 50 years, lots of changes in nursing. So we talked about that. So when we came to shocking stories of nursing, 
Memoirs of a 50-Year Nursing Career, that book sort of focused on my life as a nurse, what I did, what I accomplished, what I wanted to accomplish, and from why, why I wanted to be a nurse till when I finally retired, which is a hyphenated word. I'm still working on it. So that was book one. <laughs> And just to clarify, um, when it's, I'm thinking it sounds rather callous when I said, who cares? The point of that was, what are the things that you learned in your life that would help other people influence their decision to go into nursing, give them a perspective of what that type of nursing is like for a, a nurse who's a staff nurse or a manager? Sometimes when people consider writing memoirs, they don't look at the broader aspects right. of their story. So that's what my who cares. About. Yes, I know. <laughs> I didn't, I did kind of mention it. You know, <laughs> what did you learn? What did you pass on? Oh, you know, how creative could you get in any of those positions? And what made a difference you being there? And that's I think one of the focuses of my memoirs is who cares? Why I was there? What did I do? What did I accomplish and how did that impact in a positive way nursing as, as it was at that time? And then we also talked in your podcast a little bit about your second book, which was very different than your first book in its focus. Can you tell our viewer some of the key points that he or she will get from watching this podcast and finding out about your second book? Okay, the second book was a totally different because it wasn't all about me. Uh, over the years, I had reviewed many allegations against nurses for the state of Michigan Board of Nursing, looking at scope of practice, things of that nature. Michigan does not have a Nurse Practice Act. Everything falls off of the public health code, which can be pretty broadly interpreted. Well, as I reviewed these cases, I looked at, well, what else? could this nurse have done? I kept those reports. So I thought, you know, this would be a good second book. More shocking stories of nursing. What were they thinking? Why did this particular nurse do what she did or he did what he did? Did it make sense at the time it may have? Was it a lack of knowledge or was it on purpose? Nobody sets off working saying that, oh, I'm gonna harm somebody today. So it was an interesting, collection of stories that I think would be a heads up either for new nurses or somebody interested in going into the profession or for older nurses that can say, damn, I almost did that. Or, oh, wow, I didn't know I can't do that. And kind of a heads up when you deviate from what you've learned, the basics, it will come back to bite you. And having been intimately involved in editing both of these books, I want to underscore that your second book is of interest to anyone who is a patient or could be a patient or is the child of a parent who is a patient or in essence anyone who has an interest in healthcare and a concern about wanting to spot some of the things that could go wrong in their own care. Yes, when you keep silent about a situation that you're not comfortable with, that promotes it. And that can be a very dangerous thing. So if you're not sure, it's best to ask. Ask somebody that you, know, you can trust their opinion on. Does this sound right? 
or they gave my mom these meds like an hour apart. Is that how it's supposed to go? You know, because errors can be prevented. A lot of them can be prevented. And that's only going to be better for the profession. Well, thank you, Laura. Be sure to watch Laura's podcast coming up next on this channel and to leave a comment or a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts about this show. We value your opinion and hope that you are getting some valuable tips from the show, as well as I know you'll get valuable tips from listening to Laura Conklin. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for writers at writingtogetbusiness.com. That is W-R-I-T-I-N-G-T-O-G-E-T-B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S dot com. Coaches, consultants, and entrepreneurs work with Pat so they can get more business by writing and sharing their expertise. Check out Pat's resources on writingtogetbusiness.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.